Welcome to Sabbath School for April 11, 2020. We have another exciting lesson study for you about how to interpret the scripture. A lot of good information to get into there, but as our usual custom, before we get into the deep Bible study element of prayer and study of God's Word, we want to first begin with that laser-like focus on mission. And today we have a special guest with us. Elder Wes Peppers is here from the Michigan Conference Evangelism uh, Department, and you've got a lot of things going on right now. And uh, In fact, why don't we talk first about global mission? This is an interesting time to talk about global work when we're all kind of locked down, but recently you had a pretty awesome experience, did you not? Yes, we did. You know, we took a group of about 36 people from Michigan down to Cuba, mm. and we actually got to witness the entire cycle of evangelism taking place in just a short time, about 10 days. And so it was very exciting to see the people get excited about doing personal work, about sharing the gospel, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay, now tell me about this whole cycle of evangelism you got to see in a short order. What elements contributed to that? What happened? Sure, we had medical clinics, of course, the five components being preparing the soil, planting the seed, cultivating, harvesting, and preserving. Okay. And we did medical clinics there at several different churches in the area, one in each, each day of the week. And we served over 2,200 people wow. with eye care and medical services that totaled almost a half a million dollars. It was pretty exciting. Wow. And so people could get eyeglasses, they could get uh, their blood pressure checked, their glucose checked, a number of other things. And uh, it was just very exciting to see the people having their needs met. Mm -hmm. You know, our people were doing good. We were working side by side with the church members and, mm -hmm. and others there locally. Okay. So it wasn't just us coming in to do a thing. We were really assisting the local church in their work. Interesting. So you brought specialists with you in these fields, but you didn't just come in and do it in front of the local people. You actually yes. brought in their participation as well. Yes, they were laboring right there beside us, and they were awesome. making the connections with the people. And so it was very exciting. We gave out over 2,000 pieces of literature that <laughs> week. And uh, so people, every person that came to the clinic left with a book or a Bible or some kind of mm -hmm. a spiritual component. Uh, we were having prayer with them, and we had on the form offering them Bible studies. Amen. Now, some people may not even believe this, but out of the 2,200 plus people that we served, 989 people actually requested Bible studies. Oh my, that's fantastic. Yes, it was very awesome. And the local people there are following up on those already. And the, the pastor and the members were just so excited. One thing I loved is that I would, uh, the first day I handed the pastor the stack of requests and he said, uh-uh, hand them to the elders. So okay. I handed them to the elders okay. and the elders began distributing them to the members. And the members are the ones that follow up on those leads. So it's very exciting. Fantastic. So you were meeting people's physical needs with yes. the health and, and those kind of ministries. Yes. You were offering Bible studies. People were mm -hmm. taking those Bible studies and following mm -hmm. up with them, lay people doing that. Yep. So what about the other phase? Was there public evangelism involved or is that yes. at a later time? Each night we would have a public evangelistic series. So we were inviting the people from the clinics to come to those. And also the members beforehand had gone out inviting people. And so we had, you know, depending on the site, you know, upwards of 100, 120 visitors per site. Wow. And in some of the children's programs, we would have 150, upwards of 200 Mercy. kids. And maybe 10 or 15 of those would be Adventists. The rest of them were non-Adventists from the village. Incredible. So very exciting. And, uh, you know, people were making decisions all week. And at the end of the week, we had 
39 baptisms, All right. and we had 113 more decisions for baptism. Amen. So people were, were deciding all week, and then that work will continue on. I mean, there may be hundreds of baptisms from those Bible study requests, and I'm just excited about how enthusiastic the members are mm -hmm. in engaging in the work. So we saw that entire cycle take place, and of course those members are now you know, the baptisms, they'll be working on discipleship. Yeah. And in fact, I saw... They're going to see some of the results that you won't be there for. Yes, but you, that's the right. The work continues. That's yeah. right. They're, they're continuing to train them and ha have those people then share with their friends. And, and the cycle just continues It can on reproduce. And on. Absolutely. Amen. Well, let's transition back here to Michigan a little bit because you had this opportunity to take a... Well, well, it's only 90 miles off of Key West, so it's, it's foreign yes. technically, yes. and it's a different language and whatnot, mm -hmm. but it's close to home relatively. Right. But then... If I understand the timeline correctly, as things were coming to a close at your work there, this whole pandemic scare was kind of washing over the world and hitting the United States, and it kind of led to some interesting, mm -hmm. an ex interesting exit from Cuba for you. Yes, we actually had to leave just a few days early, and so, but the window of time was perfect. You know, when we left from the U.S. to go there, everything was normal. <laughs> we came back to a totally different country. Whole new world, yeah. And uh, it was funny because our national president, our U.S. president, was calling people to come home, uh -huh. and the Cuban government was saying everybody needs to get out. So we were kind of in limbo there, <laughs> one telling us to come, one telling us to go. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the Lord just had the perfect timing there. Okay. And we just saw hundreds of lives changed and, and transformed. Then when we get back, this crisis is taking place in America. And, you know, as a conference, we don't want to just sit on our hands. Our churches, they don't want to sit on their hands. Mm. We want to be active and involved no matter what the situation in the world is. Yes. And so we started praying about that. And, you know, the, at the general conference, there were supposed to be evangelistic meetings with It Is Written taking place all across Indianapolis. Well, because there was the general conference session coming up this summer That's in right. Indianapolis, and they wanted to have this big evangelistic push ahead of it. Correct. But, but yeah. you know, with the crisis and the COVID-19 and all that, those ended up getting canceled. And we were deciding what we would do, but it is written, went forward in faith and said, we're going to host an online evangelistic series. Mm. And so they are going to broadcast this all across the United States, and they're inviting local churches to be involved. Now, somebody might say, well, this sounds like a you know, one of the old net series where they just flip on a switch and turn on 3ABN or whatever, and everybody yeah. just kind of sits and watches. But this one's a little bit different okay. in the sense that the local church is involved from the start to the finish. The local churches that are involved have the opportunity to recruit Bible workers from their members. And the reality is that every member should be a Bible worker already. Amen. Come on. And uh, so we're going to put those to use in the virtual field on okay. the Internet. And whenever a person signs up online to watch the series, wherever their zip code is from, that name will get sent to that local church. Okay. And those local Bible workers will then be able to actually connect with that person even before the meetings begin. They'll send mm. them a welcome email, reminder emails. They'll be there with them. Uh, and the, when the meetings begin, they'll be able to chat with them and answer questions. And then once all of the, the spatial distancing is mm -hmm. lifted, they'll be able to connect with them personally. Okay. So they'll be carrying them through that series virtually, just like they would if they walked into their local church to a public evangelistic series. Now, yeah, that's, that's a really innovative way to look at things because I, I appreciate mm -hmm. that the, the evangelistic idea that it is written in these ministries didn't just say, well, I guess the GC has been canceled. We'll just right. put it off till later. Right. And it would further deepen the idea that public evangelism has to be mm -hmm. 100 people coming into an auditorium mm -hmm. and only in that context can you preach the gospel. Yes. The reality is people 
are glued to their phones right now, and yes. the internet is, is huge. And to, for us to <coughs> miss this opportunity would be, a ne uh, it would be negligent. It would be criminal. It That's would be right. wrong. We have the attention of the entire nation. Yes. People aren't going to soccer games or sporting events. That's right. Or, they're all closed. You know, they're not even. They're not shopping much. They're not doing much of anything. They're not even working. Many of them. Yeah. And so people, you know, I've heard several people. I've interacted with them, and they said. You know, I've been just been sitting here watching TV, and I'm really just tired of it. I yes. want something different. So we have one of the most unique and tremendous opportunities that we've mm. ever had before mm. in the history of our church, I believe. An entire nation, even an entire world, sitting there waiting for us to share a message with them. And that's what I'm very excited about with this series. Well, with a, with a minute or so left that we have, what would you tell local church members or leaders or pastors or local church congregations who would like to be involved with this? Uh, is there still time? When does it launch? What are some of the details? What do they need to know? Sure. You can go to the website, hopeawakens.com, and the churches can sign up there. You, I, I've sent out a link to all the pastors. Currently, we have about 80 churches that are participating. Yeah. And, but we don't want you to just say, wow, that's great that my local church is participating. We want you to be involved right from your living room or your basement or wherever. You can be sitting in your pajamas <laughs> and you can be inviting people to these meetings. You can use social media. You can text them. Mm -hmm. You can call them, email them, call your neighbors, you know, whatever you need to do to, to actively invite people to the series. We're doing a large scale uh, advertising campaign across the conference, okay. but we're still just like when we do mailers for regular meetings, we're still dependent on that personal work. And really, there is no public work without personal work, mm. and there is no global work without a local work. Amen. And so that local work still needs to take place right from your own home. So be involved, you know, volunteer, talk to your pastor and say, I'd be willing to be one of those virtual Bible workers to interact with the guests online. Don't let the local work stop. So once again, hopeawakens.com. You can also call me uh, here at the conference office. Mm -hmm. I'd be glad to talk to you about signing up your church for that event. And we look forward to seeing an, an incredible harvest. Mm -hmm. And I uh, believe the Lord is, it doesn't matter what the situation or the condition is of the world, this work can still go on. God mm -hmm. has a people on the earth and He's given them work to do yeah. and He's going to empower us to do it. So be on your knees, but be involved and see God do something great. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing what happened overseas recently, yes. those great testimonies, but also have the opportunity to be involved in our local conference and congregations even now in this difficult time. Amen. Fantastic. Thank you, Brother West. Yes. Well, it's so good to hear about the global work that's been taking place recently with that mission trip to Cuba that Elder Pepper's talked about, and also the exciting conference-wide and local congregation involvement that's possible through the It Is Written online campaign, Hope Awakens. So a lot of good things going on globally and locally, but mission would be incomplete if it also doesn't go to personally. What can I be doing for the Lord right now. And to help us with that, we have another guest with us. We have Sister Vicki Griffin from the Health and Temperance Department, Lifestyle Matters right. here in the Michigan Conference. And I wanted to talk to you about this because it dawns on me, Vicki, that we're in the midst of a health crisis. Our country, in fact, our world is embroiled in this ongoing saga of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this has surely raised a lot of questions or issues or concerns in people's minds about healthful living and health care. And what are some of the things that people are probably thinking about right now that they might not have been thinking about even, say, three or four weeks ago? Well, the, the problem is, is that in a panic and in a pandemic, we're not thinking. Okay. Uh, people are frightened. 
they have the fear of the known and the fear of the unknown. Mm. Uh, social relations are broken up, social distancing. It's a new world. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeing a lot of collateral damage beyond the actual virus, beyond the economics. Mm -hmm. There is a personal uh, implosion of resources. And so people are suffering. I see it when I go out. I have experienced those sensations myself. When Anxiety. You're, and, just yeah. a seismic shift in your world. And, and, and yet we are called to, to give forth the gospel. We are called to care for ourselves in this thing. And yet we see an exponential rise in domestic abuse, drug abuse, um, alcohol, gaming, mm. all of it is just, it, it's like people are defaulting to, to what is going to be the most pain-killing thing. Mm. And, um, and so that produces collateral damage mm -hmm. and, and it increases the risk for these diseases. So it, it disrupts health, it disrupts emotional, spiritual health, sleep. Mm -hmm. So yes, I, I you know, here's the thing I love about habit formation, because there are some things to love about it. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's hear this now. Go ahead. This change up in our environment is actually, one of the things in habit change is that you want to um, create new cues. And with everything changing, it actually creates a platform for positive change. Hey, let's do some new things. Let okay. me learn something new. Let me read a new book. Let me create a new habit. And so when we think about habit change, we think about um, outcome. I'm going to read a book a month if it kills me. I hate reading, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that, that doesn't work. But there's identity-based change. So I, I'm going to take this time to become a, a, a fit person. I'm uh -huh. going to become a reader. I'm, we can either dumpster dive into the grocery store and down into those bad habits, or we can create a new identity through the power of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's what our ministry is all about. And now, all of those things that, that were actually pre-existing conditions, now they're worse. Mercy. And now we need some solutions because it's, it's starting to hurt. Well, so uh, the, probably the people that are watching this Sabbath School program this morning are personally experiencing some of those like shifts and the, the stresses in their life, the new, uh, you know, sure. recalibrating to this new world, right. essentially. And they probably know people who are also going through that also. Exactly. And so this is what I hear you saying is this should be an opportunity to kind of reevaluate and set a new course for our life and say, okay, what are some habits that probably are helpful? And Vicki, I was thinking about this as well. You know, we've seen, uh, like say our health care, okay. uh, our health uh, delivery systems, hospitals right. and what right. might be swamped and very yes. focused on this COVID-19 yes. so much that in order to go to a, you, you know, regular hospital yeah. visits, doctor visits, even emergency rooms, you had to be really, really ill to even get in the door of a hospital. Right. And probably people are thinking like, how can I boost my immune system? How can I head off the need to go to the hospital? How mm -hmm. can I live? So I'm guessing physical health is higher on people's priority in the last few weeks than it has been in the years preceding that. Yeah, one thing that I've learned um, working with some addiction programs is that the presenting problem is usually rarely the presenting problem. It may be the most pressing problem at the moment, but usually it's strongly emotionally driven. And so for me, I can't see any separation between the emotional, spiritual, and physical, but these physical, uh, the physical breakdown of systems, mm -hmm. of things that we, we, our brains are prediction machines. And, and we have to be able to predict things, and we can't predict things now. And so people are just really, 
in a time of uncertainty. But what I've noticed is that people are reaching out more, they're talking more, they're getting outside mm -hmm, more. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, on the on the one end of the of the tandem, we see this collapse of of what we used to do mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. worked, and now we're seeing those things turn against us. But on the other hand, there, that creates an urge an urge and a, uh, a yearning. An openness, yes. Yes, to learn new things and to learn it with someone else. I, s I have been connecting more with my neighbors, strangers at the grocery store, mm -hmm. more connections, uh, family. People uh, need each other more now than ever right. before. And we have found ways to connect. You think about this Zoom bombing or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Zoom and, and text yeah, messaging. I mean, and an app these, and yeah, where are you and yeah. whatever all those apps are. And so <laughs> our need to connect is actually going to be our opportunity. Now, uh, from the Health Ministries Department, from Lifestyle Matters, if I may make a shameless plug here for your department, <laughs> the, there are great resources online. In fact, I was, for instance, the, the topic of alcohol came yes. up recently in some online conversations, and I, and I was thinking, where's some good resources to demonstrate that maybe alcohol is not the best thing to be turning to right now in the light of a <laughs> global health right, crisis? Right. And I went to lifestylematters.com, and sure enough, there under the tab that says free, Thank you for labeling it so clearly free. free. I found free PowerPoints, free yep. audio and video. There were some free articles that talked about the very topics that I was talking about. In yep. fact, you yep. have with you, if I'm not mistaken, yes. some of those typical topics, those lifestyle yeah. uh, topics that people often are interested in and you sometimes would see them in literature but now they're online is that yeah, correct yeah just a few topics okay a just few. a few topics okay. uh, we have uh, 26 the, these are are the beautiful here it is alcohol why not yes. these doctors still make uh, house calls creating connections lessons on loss life out of loss uh, yeah. who can I trust uh, the very metabolic things that people fires. are wrestling with right yes, now yes. up and smoke um, <laughs> And, and we have been so laser focused on getting this literature out in terms of, of having meetings and all my seminar jackets are parked. <laughs> and so, and so, are the, uh, so is the literature in this form. But God knew uh, what we were going to be facing and every one of these beautiful 26 topics. And here's the one on immune health. There you go. That's a pretty um, hot topic right now. They're all beautifully laid out online, free. Okay. at lifestylematters.com, including 26 matching videos that are just five to seven minutes each. So this is a time to share those things with your friends and neighbors. I have friends that I can see the worry etched on their face. Mm -hmm. They're open more than ever before. And, and so uh, we have not only the videos, but we have these tracks free. We have books that you can have sent. One's on stress, mm -hmm. depression, and immune function. Another one on addictions called Living Free. Foods for Thought, Nutrition's Link with Mental, Physical, Spiritual Health. You can have them sent to, uh, to your friends. This is the time. when I had some people, strangers. I was cleaning my car, and the house across the street is for sale. And the, the car was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so I, I hailed them. I said, what, you know, what are you doing? They said, well, we, we're interested in that house, but they don't really want to show it. And I said, well, my house is the same. It's a condominium. Go inside. Have a look. <laughs> and... Uh, they were just so grateful and they looked around and I was able to give them an entire set of balanced magazines and mm -hmm. and so send them to our website. So there's so much that we can do. It's all around us. Ministry is personal. If it's not personal, it's nothing. Amen. 
Thank you so much for being with us. We're pressed for time, but friends, go to lifestylematters.com, click on those free resources, or look around at all the things that are provided there so that A, you can be benefited, edified, and blessed, but then you can be a blessing in turn to others as you share these wonderful truths with others at this time. Thank you so much for being with us, Sister Vicki. Thank you, Pastor Cameron, and God bless. Amen. So it's so good to hear about all the global work that's going on, even from right here in the Michigan Conference. And of course, the local work of the conference within our own territory or even local congregations. And of course, that personal work that Sister Vicki talked about. And you can go to lifestylematters.com and check out all those resources for your own edification and for sharing. But the foundation of Sabbath School always remains Bible study and prayer. And this quarter, our topic is how to interpret Scripture. And we're in the second lesson of this second quarter of the year. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're still studying the nature of the Bible and the origin of the Bible right. and how to look at the scriptures. And there's some really interesting thoughts this week. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting, even as we look at this, it almost seems so elementary. Yes. And even in discussions you and I have recently had, I... I'm surprised sometimes at the current trend that there is in Christianity and even in some pockets of Adventism where people look at the Bible very skeptically. Mm -hmm. No longer is an authoritative book uh, uh, as it once be, used to be regarded. And that's one of the reasons for this lesson. And of course, we're in the midst of this COVID crisis. Um, people are at home. We wanted to provide a Sabbath school opportunity but another reason that we talked about doing this class was because we had been in the, in the quarterly on the book of Daniel and rich lessons in the book of Daniel. Sure. And then moving into this quarterly on the importance of scripture, interpretation of scripture. I hate to say it, but in many of the classes, and as we work in the Sabbath school department, we get around to a number of different churches. Um, in many of our churches, they never get through the lesson. Some churches don't even get to the lesson. Mm. And with the subject matter in this lesson, I just thought it was important, number one, to get into the subject matter. Number mm -hmm. two, as a Sabbath school department, to model covering the lesson. Right. Um, you know, and there are a lot of reasons that people don't go into it. Sure. Well, I mean, as you and I have traveled around, we've seen different dynamics within the Sabbath school group. And sometimes you'll have a teacher who, you know, really makes a lot of preparation, has a lot of notes. Yes. Other times they'll just open the floor to discussion and that can lead to one comment, leads to another comment, and all of a sudden you're off the rails, you don't get to... So these are important themes because honestly, what we're looking mm -hmm. at here, it, you're right, it might seem elementary and basic to study how do you read and interpret scripture, mm -hmm. but that sets the framework for how you understand everything else in the Christian walk. And Absolutely. so it's an essential, vital core of our ex religious and experience. And not just how you understand it, but whether or not it provides a foundation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the midst of this crisis, I can't help but think there's an account that's shared in the book, Great Controversy, about where John Wesley was traveling with a group of German Christians, Moravian Christians, um, on a ship, and they, they came into the midst of a storm. And Wesley shares how the, the English people on the ship were panicked. But the Germans were just calm and singing hymns. And afterwards, he said he was dialoguing with one of these Germans. And he said, weren't you scared? And he said, oh, no, not at all. And he said, well, weren't your women and children scared? And the man's response that still sticks in my mind is, 
No, our women and children aren't afraid to die. Mm. You know, just this, they were so grounded in their faith that uh -huh. they were impervious. Even death itself was not the end for them. And it, and it gave them a peace and a calmness. But I wish I could say that that peace and calmness existed, at least among all Christians. Mm. But when we lose that confidence in Scripture, yes. We, we lose the peace that God wants to give us. Mercy. So this is a vital topic. It's absolutely. not just an interesting study, but this is personally applicable for every Christian That's to be grounded right. in the Word of and God. And one other thing I wanted to add is, you okay. know, when we get through the lesson, and it, I wanted to add for, for our viewers, we've, I think you mentioned this already, but we don't intend to continue this no. doing a class every week once people are able to meet in their churches because we don't want to become an excuse for people going to Sabbath school. Right. But what we do want to do is provide training for Sabbath school uh, teachers and tips on how to go through uh, the class. Right. But one of the things I want to highlight is in the lesson quarterly, it's broken down into Sabbath afternoon and Sunday and Monday right. and Tuesday. And the reason for that is it's broken down for people's personal daily study of the lesson, not for the way the teacher should teach the lesson. And Good I can't point. tell you Good how point. many times I'm in a class and the teacher's like, okay, let's go Sunday, let's go to Monday, let's go to Tuesday. Yeah. That's really not how you teach. And, and, and one of the reasons, it's not like it's the end of the world, it's not like it's a terrible thing to do, right. but what often happens more times than not is that that teacher, that class ends 45 minutes later, 55 minutes later, whatever, says, well, we got partway through Tuesday, too bad. And so that, that again, right. we don't get through the lesson. So the lesson is put together that way to help in personal study. And maybe one of the reasons that the teachers do that is because people don't study the lessons for maybe. themselves. Maybe. And so we're all going to do it Sabbath. Well, we're not going to do that for you. We're going to highlight right. things from the lesson and we may bring up things that aren't in the lesson, but but the content, the subject matter of the lesson, we're hoping you've looked at it. And if not, I want to encourage you to get into the quarterly and you can get these online. We're going to have a link uh, sure. below. If, if you don't have a quarterly, you can get one from your local church as well. And I, during COVID crisis, I know a, a lot of churches are having a... It's still free online. There's apps. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but get into and review the lesson for yourself. It's, uh, it's a great uh, study. And um, anyway... Well, fantastic. So what we're going to be looking at here is the study of this week's lesson. But as you mentioned, it's not just mm -hmm. a mechanical walking through, okay, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It didn't, doesn't necessarily go like that. The idea is broken up into daily segments for the ease of the reader to help them have a daily experience. That's right. But they, the themes go more than just one day at a time. There's an overarching uh, uh, thematic approach to these lessons that we want to draw out the most important points and really dive into those for our study. So some days we'll have several good points. Other days might have something, just a little something here and then move on. But we're not going to be a slave to the seven-day broken-down cycle as that's is right. mentioned here. We want to see what the message is that's trying to be conveyed as a yes. whole. In fact, we've outlined the lesson for our own yes. uh, uh, class here, and we are going to make these available so you can get just a little front and back handout outline of the lesson, um, especially for those who are teachers. Maybe it'll give you some, some mm -hmm. tips or some ideas. And again, this isn't a straitjacket, but right. it, it may give you some ideas on how you might look at and approach the lesson to teach the lesson. Well, speaking so, of the lesson, we need Let's, to dive into it at some yes. point. So let's, we've got a lot of good introductory comments here, but are we ready to get into our lesson study? Yes. Stuff? So but we should begin with prayer, of with course. Prayer. Pastor Howard, can you lead us in prayer? Absolutely. Father in heaven, Father, we are thankful for your holy Sabbath day. Father, we're thankful for your revelation in the word of truth. 
and in your Son, Jesus Christ, the living Word, and Father, in the Spirit of truth that you've promised to lead us into truth. Now we ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us in our study today, not just with head knowledge, Lord, but with practical truths that will help us in our daily Christian walk. For we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Now, yeah, oh, I was to say this week's is titled The Origin and Nature of the Bible, and that kind of defines mm -hmm. the scope of what we're headed. We're not just looking at the language of the Bible, we're looking at where it came from and how is it constituted? What even is the Bible, really? Okay, and I, and I thought that so one thing I wanted to touch on with the, just the quarterly in general, which is interpreting the scripture, yes. is the idea of interpretation. I just want to, this should seem, this should be obvious, but the purpose of interpretation is to come to an understanding of what the author intended to get across when the author wrote what he wrote. Okay, and, seems and simple, straightforward, it, it yeah. It seems simple, but the reality is for some people, interpretation is to see if I can get out of it what I wish <laughs> the author intended. To interpret it by putting a spin <laughs> on it. And, and yeah. so it should be simple. Of course, this whole quarter is gonna go into how, but that's the goal that we're trying to get to is, what did Paul mean when he wrote that? Not right. what I wish he meant, but what was he trying to get across? And even in that question, it presupposes that Paul had a meaning to convey. Well, that they were not just like mind, <laughs> and we're going to get into this, but they were just mindlessly rattling off, you know, esoteric, spiritual, whatever thoughts that we can grasp something out. That these were real people that had concrete yes. ideas and tried to convey them in actual words. The idea <laughs> that we're having this conversation blows my mind. Like there's no other area of life where mm. you wouldn't assume an author, even a very abstract thinker, where you wouldn't assume that they had a point to get across. Yes, and their job in, in writing it modern, down was to communicate it. Right, yeah. but in modern theology, it's like, well, I don't know, what we read last week in Desire of Ages, even in Christ's day, that the scripture could take be taken to mean one thing or exactly the opposite. I'm just not quite sure. Yeah, like there's it's true nothing. for you, and it's with, <laughs> as though there's not a single truth that was originally trying to be conveyed, so we would learn it instead of us putting our. Spin but there's on. no other form of communication, even written communication, outside of theology, where people's like, I don't know, or people are thinking, I don't know what he. Yeah, I don't think there was a real intention. No, there was an intention. <laughs> yes, there was. That's why you write things anyway. Right. Well, I'm. There I'm certainly here. was an intention in scripture, and scripture. It, we're not going to, we, and we can't take our word for it, but what does scripture claim? And yes. that's what we're going to be looking. What are the claims of the Bible itself? Well, looking here, again, this seems, yes. this stood out in my mind. It was on the Sabbath afternoon's lesson there, but it yep. says, the second sentence, how we interpret the Bible is significantly shaped and influenced by our understanding of the process of revelation and inspiration. Yes. Like, so for instance, how we, our assumptions about how this book came to be will color what we take from the book, like is this truly uh, uh, divinely inspired correction, reproof, uh, edification for my life, or is it just historical narrative? Is it philosophical ramblings? Is it antiquitous mm -hmm. philosophy? You know, my assumptions about what this book is and how it came to be will cloud or shape what I do with it. Well, you think about you know the the the, <laughs> the theological word for interpretation is hermeneutics, and it actually just comes from a Greek word that means to interpret. <laughs> so the I don't word know for why we don't just say interpret, but it makes us feel smarter, I guess, if we use the Greek word and say, I feel you know, smarter having you just heard you say <laughs> it, yes. But the point is, when you're dealing with interpretation, the very idea of having rules of interpretation for a book, and if you look up hermeneutics in the dictionary, it will tell you that it's, it has to do with interpretation, especially of 
scripture. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, why would you work so hard to understand uninspired writing? Mm. So the very discussion of rules of interpretation tell us the book is different. Okay, that's fair. That's Wh why would I work so hard to try to really get down to the meaning of what Paul is saying unless it didn't have eternal ramifications? Okay, so you're talking about those claims of the scripture. So yes. it is a book of a different nature. Absolutely. It is not just interesting literature or historical document. This is a living book. It claims, it makes bigger claims than other books. It, it has a, a different scope and themes to it. It's just a different beast altogether. And so let's study into that a little bit more. Uh, what is this Bible? What is the nature of the Bible? Well, right there on... Um the Sabbath afternoon lesson mm -hmm. and the opening text, the memory text for the lesson tells us that the word of God, Paul's claim is uh, for this reason, we thank you without ceasing because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. So first he calls it the word of God, but, but now notice how he treats his audience. When you received it, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. Mm -hmm. So right away, Paul has encountered people who don't accept it as the word of God, yeah. but very clearly the, the claim of scripture itself is, some people consider this the word of men, but you guys received right. it as it truly is the word of God. Interesting, and by the way, that's, we always talk about the postmodern mind or the 21st century you know, paradigm right. that people, this is the very earliest century <laughs> exactly that Paul right. is still alive and speaking to people in his time and already there were skepticisms and That's doubts right. about, well, what is this Bible? Is it just, you know, he would later talk about cunningly devised fables or it's just tradition. He's saying, no, no, right. no, it's not just the word of a man. It is, in truth, the word of God. That's a huge distinction. That's right. Okay. So, having seen that then, let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper. How can we see the divine hand in the formation of the scripture? What does this mean that it's inspired of God? Well, one of the, one of the passages that we looked at last week and the lesson brings out this week, we do well to look at it in 2 Peter, 2 okay. Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And this is interesting from the perspective, you know, you can read the verse and the verse speaks volumes, but understanding that Peter who is writing this, obviously one of the writers of scripture is sharing with us how the process worked from the perspective of a writer. Okay. And uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm. And if you take verse 21 to heart, I mean, here's Peter. He wrote, and he's probably heard that argument himself. Oh, it's just written by Peter. Peter, you're one of the writers of Scripture. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. Even though it's written by men, he says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that that same word moved is used elsewhere. In the book of Acts, Paul uses it, or Luke uses it rather, to talk about a, 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 when they were in a uh, storm on the sea. And he talks about the ship and how it was driven by the wind. And that word driven mm. is the same word that Peter used to talk about moved. In other words, a powerful moving of the Spirit of God so that the end result is not human. Mm. So it's, it's, 
again, when we talk, about, and let's dive a little bit into this, how did God move men to write the scriptures that we have today? Because, I mean, were they taken off into uh, a trance-like thing where they, they were literally possessed of God, God picked up their arms and just used them? You know, some people have that picture that That's they right. were in a other, they were almost disconnected from the process that God just used them as a mindless vehicle for transmitting right. or transcribing his words. Some mindless drone. That right, God but like, for instance, Peter wrote these words about how the Bible came to be. It's not a pretty private interpretation, how holy men yes. were moved, right? But Peter himself well, had an experience of and, being moved. Right, right. And, 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 and the text says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved. Okay. So it's interesting. It doesn't say God spoke. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit spoke. It said the men, the men spoke, spoke as they were moved. So as much as you have the moving of the Spirit, he doesn't so control the man that the man no longer has any control. Right, himself. there's an active human agent in that yes. in cooperation with the divine. I'm, I, again, I'm taken to Acts chapter 10. We don't have time yes. to do a study on this, but the apostle Peter himself is obviously an author mm -hmm. of scripture and he knows what it's like to be, to experience that moving of the Holy Spirit leading him to write. And in Acts chapter 10, just very briefly, the story is that the apostle Peter, this is the, by the way, the converted Peter, the yes. after Pentecost Peter, but he still has some issues in his spiritual life to continue to grow in character and the mm -hmm. Lord is working that out of him. And the Lord intended the gospel to go from the Jews to the Gentiles and naturally, Peter was not inclined to go to converse with and interact with and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So the Lord gives him this awesome experience of the dream of the sheet, right? With the, the animals, the, he told to go rise, kill and eat. And Peter actually speaks against it. He said, not so Lord. And he, and he kind of wrestles with this, right? But at the end of the day, as you see the prophecy continue to unfold and the prophetic experience that Peter documents, he has to accept that the Lord has spoken and his job is to communicate the truth that God has shown him. Mm -hmm. And then he obediently, he takes a witnesses. A truth that he wasn't super he, comfortable Exactly. With. <laughs> so it's not like, oh, I'll bet this would make yeah. good scripture. I'll write it down. <laughs> no, right. no. He didn't I want this to be true. I got an idea I want people to think is true <laughs> exactly. that I like. So exactly. He to... did not like where this was going, right. but he recognized that this is the moving of the Holy Spirit. And as you see the, the, the unfolding of the book of Acts, it was obviously the, super, the, the superintending power of the Holy Spirit yes. guiding the church through the prophetic insights given to Peter. That's right. And it was all to the glory of God. But Peter, my point was that Peter was very conscious through this process. He was in fact uh, personally resistant to it, but he was at the same time, not my will, but your will. He was willing to go where the Lord led. And through that process of revelation and then inspiration to convey it, we have the scripture that we have today. That's right. So there was definitely a human in there, but it was God through the power of the Holy Spirit moving that man to convey the truth that he wanted told to the world. That's right. It's interesting that just a few verses before the one we read, verse 16 of first Peter, or second Peter chapter one, Peter mm -hmm. says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Mercy. Uh, and first of all, uh, a devised means something you concocted or came up <laughs> Somebody with. Somebody made it up, yeah. And so again, the idea, here's Peter, one of the authors, he's like, look, I'm not making this stuff up. Well, this is, this is yep. in, in, in the context, he also talks about being eyewitnesses of the majesty of Jesus. These are real things. The Spirit of God moved upon us and yes. we communicated that. And that's the claim of Scripture. A person can disbelieve that claim, 
But that's what Bible, the Bible claims about itself. And we've already talked about how beyond claims like that, mm -hmm. we have prophecy, right? right? We have history that's been fulfilled and, and things foretold. So there's plenty of evidence in scripture that would, would uh, buttress those claims of the Bible. Absolutely. And, and what I find fascinating is the very things that the apostles were wrestling against, like the not cunningly devised fables. Yes. These are the very things that we see in our world today. People will discredit the scripture and say, well, it's so old or it's just written from this time or from those people or it's not reliable. Well, this is exactly the same type of stuff. And right. what I find fascinating here is that Peter doesn't try to mollify or come up with a compromise. He doesn't say, well, I know that it's mostly... He says it is entirely the word of God or it is cunningly devised fables. Now, That's right. he says it is not cunningly devised fables, therefore it is the word of God. But he speaks of it as a binary. Either you accept the scripture as what it claims to be, the very word of God, That's right. or it's entirely cunningly devised fables. It's not like there's some good in here mixed with some bad and there's degrees of inspiration. You know, I keep thinking of degrees of inspiration. Yes. When people say, how inspired is the Bible? That's an illogical question. Right. Inspiration by its very nature is binary. It either is or it well, isn't. Well, you're giving another example. Exactly. The example when, <laughs> whenever, uh, you know, we in our household have brought three children into the world. And, you know, and, and you never come to the question of, uh, are you a little bit pregnant? Like, right. how pregnant are you? It's a binary. Either you are with child or you, you are not. You can talk about how far along. Right. There's no such thing as being somewhat <laughs> pregnant. Exactly. Right. And the same thing. It's not like it's a somewhat inspired. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take some of the good things. The Bible makes the claim that That's it is right. entirely trustworthy in God's word. That's right. You know, one of the passages that the uh, lesson bring, you know, leads us to, 2 Timothy mm -hmm. 3, uh, 16 and sure, 17, sure. the Apostle Paul says, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God mm -hmm. and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That is what's right. Now you take all those things there that it's talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Bible's pro How can a book correct somebody <laughs> when it isn't solidly truth? Right. The, 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 the very function that Paul's describing here necessitates that the Bible be trustworthy and reliable mm -hmm. or how can it correct anything? How can it instruct anyone in what's right if it itself is only partially right? Right. And if it were even partially right, then I become the arbiter to sort out what things are, you know, inspired or really inspired or particularly relevant or practical today, which other things aren't. The Bible doesn't have this compromised middle ground kind of grayish right. mix. It simply says it's all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is useful. It's profitable That's for right. all these things. And then he caps it off by saying that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it's interesting that Paul tells Timothy earlier, he talks to him about being a man of God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Mm -hmm. And I think of that just having... You know, one time in my life I worked as an electrician. I was a workman mm -hmm. and I would go to a job and I needed tools to get that job done. I needed to be thoroughly equipped to get the job done. And there was nothing worse than not having the tools you needed. Paul, when he's talking about scripture, says that scripture provides the man of God so that he is thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, there is nothing else he needs mm. if he has the scripture. Now, how do Amen. you say that about an imperfect book or a partially right. inspired book? I mean, the language of the apostle very much conveys his firm belief that 
All of this is God's word to you and me even today. Amen. So let's move now into the process of inspiration. What are the nuts and bolts? How does it work? Right. Well, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, yes. is probably one of the clearest places that give us the chain of communication uh, from God to man. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So you have a... <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, uh, what I call the divine game of telephone, you know, like the one person <laughs> passing it. But you would think like, oh, God moved the man. So that means that God directly spoke to this person. Mm -hmm. But you notice there is a chain there. There's that's a sequence right. involved. You have God... You have Jesus. In fact, the first sentence yeah. doesn't get, you know, you've got God from God, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God gives him, that's to capital give H, To him. his servants, which is us. Right. But then it steps back. So God to Christ to the end reader. But then it says he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now, John was a prophet. Right. And John was the one, the prophets were the writers of Scripture. So you have God now to, the, to Jesus, to the angel, to the prophet, to the reader. Right. <laughs> and now through history, we have it still. So you, have, you see the direct connection between God the Father on the throne to his created beings here on earth and how he goes about communicating. I think right. that's fascinating, right? So this process of inspiration. Then. And yet another example in the okay. Bible, a claim of the Bible itself, that even though it came through the channel of John, this is the message of God to his people. Which, by the way, John admits he calls it, he was on the island of Patmos for what? For the That's word right. of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He didn't say this was the word. These are some ideas I got from He said, <laughs> right. no, this is still God's word, even though it's coming exactly. through me. And I think that's a really important uh, uh, distinction there, that this is not John's words only, right. nor is it the dictation word for word from God, that this is a, a harmony of a cooperative role that God has for his people in communicating to the rest of mankind. Well, we'll get into this a little bit more, but this okay. is one of the things that trips people up when it comes to the Bible is because they'll read something and they'll say, well, you know, I don't know, that just doesn't strike me the way God would say it. God wouldn't say it like that or whatever. <laughs> right. or, or when you recognize, we've already talked about this, that the Bible, the different passages bear the stamp of the author. Yes, they do. And so because of that, people want to find fault with Scripture. But I think we need to keep in mind that nothing human is perfect. Mm. You know, they're not, we're not going to be speaking English in heaven. <laughs> and I hate to disappoint some of my brothers and sisters Oh, you're going to step there, on toes. Don't say it. We're not going to be speaking Spanish either. Oh, mercy. Human languages are all this side of the fall at this point. Yeah. They're, they're all imperfect. I don't know how they communicate in heaven. Is it a thought only thing? Is there a language? But it's not, right. it's not human language. And so God has been tasked with communicating perfection of thought. Yes. In an imperfect vehicle right. of thought. Infinite wisdom into a finite channel through finite means. You know, this is... That's right. How does he do so it? So that yeah. we can understand it. Right. 
And so there are limitations to that, and yet God chose to do it that way because he had to meet us where we are. And that also tells us that the purpose for the scripture was to meet us where we are right. and give us practical instruction in this life to get to the next one. Amen. You know, I'm yeah. sure our viewers may have heard that, you know, That's the acronym Bible for the Bible, for basic instructions before leaving earth. Right. But the concept is that that's the purpose of Scripture is that God's guide. There are things that Scripture can't possibly convey sure. to us this side of heaven. And the Bible even refers to that. There, there are deep things of God it That's refers right. to. There, there's things we can't even imagine. And we trust that, of course, there's things bigger than That's we. Right. God is bigger than us. He's smarter than us. His mind is in infinite. Fact, Ours is limited. I, would, I take comfort in the fact that there's plenty I don't understand. <laughs> People read things in the Bible and they say, well, some of this is so complex and complicated and whatever else. That's one of the strongest Praise evidences the Lord. <laughs> of the, think about this. If I could grasp, if my little pea brain could grasp everything in the yeah. Bible, don't comment. <laughs> exactly. I was about to have a testimony. <laughs> it could grasp everything in the Bible. That wouldn't testify to its divineness. No. If I could grasp it now, it'd be like, well, it can't be too complex. <laughs> the fact that I can't testifies to the wisdom of the author. Right. Now, Mrs. White speaks about this. The author not this. being Peter or Paul, but being God. Now, Mrs. White, of course, herself experienced yes. this inspiration process. She was inspired of God, and she wrote down some fascinating insights about the mechanism of That's inspiration. Right. And uh, uh, I'm just going to read one of these here that we have listed here, but, and we'll have it on the screen too. But it said, it is not, this is from First, volume, uh, first Selected Messages, uh, page 21. Yes, there's a whole collection there on inspiration. Exactly, so there's a whole section reading. that she talks. Yep. So these are just excerpts. I would encourage people to read that whole uh, area there. But it says, it is not the words of the Bible that are inspired. Now that sounds almost flamethrower, dangerous yes. language, right? <laughs> but keep, keep reading. It is not the words of the Bible that are inspired, but the men that were inspired. Inspiration acts not on the man's words or his expressions, but on the man himself who, under the influence of the Holy Ghost, is imbued with thoughts. Yes. So I get the picture of like the Lord soaks into his mind, his character, these divine ideas, these grand themes. And so he still has his own volition. He has his own vocabulary, right. but he's transmitting divine insight that he's received from God. Well, Incredible. you know, you may think of, of uh, and our readers may have recalled some of the there's one particular statement where Ellen White was trying to describe something that she saw that God revealed. And she says, I lay down my pen. Uh, you know, like yeah. I can't, th how do I find words yeah. to express this? And I can see that being the experience of the writers of scripture, that there's these grand themes and how do I express this? Mm -hmm. And that was a challenge, that, but the Holy Spirit did guide in it as you're reading here. Right, and, and I'm thinking as we're commenting on this still, like. Uh, when Daniel, we just studied Daniel last quarter, he was, he stayed, at least in Daniel chapter 7, he yes. talks about, I received this vision, and he said, and I wrote down the main points. Right. The idea is like, <laughs> I can't possibly describe <laughs> right. all the stuff, but here's the key ideas that you need to know that were conveyed to me. Like, clearly there's more that That's could be right. written, right? Well, And doesn't John say that of the life of Christ? He's like, if there was room books. enough, <laughs> there's not room enough in the whole world to contain all the books of things that could right. have been written about the life of Christ. Nevertheless, though there's more that could be said, all that we need is included. That's exactly and it's incredible. Right. Well, let's continue. That the man of God may be complete. complete thoroughly equipped. Yes. Let's continue with the statement. It says, but the words and thoughts receive the impress of the individual mind. So you see, uh, we've commented on this last week. Paul writes in a different style than does Luke or does mm -hmm. Moses. Or, okay, no yes. problem. To be expected. The divine mind is diffused. 
The divine mind and will is combined with the human mind and will, thus the utterances of the man are the word of God. Fascinating statement. Fascinating. Yeah. And it does, you know, it, it, this is not to say that, oh, the inspiration acts on the, the man, not the words, so the words aren't inspired. That's not what it's saying. No. What it's saying is the words aren't verbally dictated. God, exactly. it, the man wasn't a dictaphone for God. God gave the man thoughts and then guided the yes. man in writing what he wrote in Scripture. Right, so he could have used so other particular words, written, but conveying the message yes. is unchanged. And, that, and what was written is the Word of God. Powerful stuff. You know, there's another statement, too, that we gathered, and it's also from Selected Messages. In fact, it's the paragraph just before the one we read, mm -hmm. where it says something similar. It says, the Bible is written by inspired men, but it is not God's mode of thought and expression. Now, we've already talked about this. God's mode of thought is infinite. You can't express infinite right. thought in finite language. Right. Okay. It says it's not God's mode of thought and expression. It is that of humanity. God as a writer is not represented. Mm. Men will often say that such an expression is not like God. But God has not put himself in words, in logic, in rhetoric on trial in the Bible. The writers of the Bible were God's penmen, not his pen. Mm. Very powerful. That's powerful, powerful thought. statement. And, and so anyway. You, uh, one can only imagine what God's ideas and thoughts and language must be like. And if he were to speak in his native tongue, to us, we couldn't absorb. Of course he needed to convey it, but it doesn't take away from the credibility and veracity of the yes. Bible. Yes, and yeah. let's not pass up this point that when you read Scripture, mm -hmm. and anybody who's spent time studying Scripture with a believer's viewpoint, we'll talk about that in a minute, has experienced the Spirit of God bringing thoughts to your mind that aren't necessarily in the text, in right. the verbiage of but the text. But connecting the dots of the meaning. Yes. It's like as you read it, the Spirit of God unlocks things. Mm. The author of Scripture, you know, the Spirit moved upon these men, can unlock meanings that you couldn't see otherwise. Mercy. So, so there's, it, it, it's just, it's different. It's a living book we talked right. about spiritual last week. Spiritual things it's, are spiritually absolutely. discerned. It's a spiritual transaction we're talking about when we engage with There's the so much we want to say, but we got to move on. We do so have to I move on. All right. Yeah. Now, Mark, the, the lesson talked about the Word and made the parallel between the Word right. of God written and the living Word of God, which of course is Jesus Christ. Well, it draws from the Gospel of John okay. and uh, you know, one of the most well-known passages in Scripture where the Bible talks about the incarnation of Jesus right there, John 1, 1 through 3. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Christ himself, which we're going to see in a moment. Mm -hmm. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then you jump down to verse 14, and he, John clarifies, he says, And the Word became flesh mm. and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, speaking of Jesus right. in humanity. Well, and it, it, when I first looked at this, you could get the idea that maybe that, well, it's a bit of a stretch to, I mean, a, a book can't be compared to the person of Jesus Christ. Right. But in a lot of ways, there are strong similarities between the Bible and, the, and Jesus himself. In fact, both are referred to as the Word, the yes. Word of God. Christ was the living, if I should clarify, Christ is the yes. living Word. And the, the scriptures also is alive, we're told. It's living mm -hmm. and active, right? And the purpose of a word, now here's, let's pull back to, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basic elements here. 
The purpose of language, the purpose of words is to communicate thought. That's right. God has thoughts he wants us to know. And I don't know if you've ever stepped back and considered the idea that God has thoughts and he decided to share them with us. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to tell us things. That's right. We could just be bumping around in a universe we can't, but he just, he, it, and he could share them in a way that are totally beyond yeah, any he would comprehension. Speak and we would just, you know, you know. But he decided to share them with us in a context and through right. a vehicle of communication that we could actually grasp. Right, and so he's that drawing a child us. Could grasp. He's drawing us to him by communicating thought, and in the revelation of his will, his mind, his thoughts, right. he is drawing to. And so this is the purpose of scripture. And by the way, that mm-hmm. was the exact purpose of Christ That's was right. to be. If you've seen me, you've what? You've seen That's the Father. Right. One of my favorite statements from the pen of inspiration, and I know that's a little dangerous to say favorite because I've got a six, 7,000 favorites, yeah. right? But this is from That I May Know Him, page 38. What speech is to thought, so is Christ to the invisible Father. Now, that, that's going to take a minute. <laughs> yeah, to, we can to, just settle, sink <laughs> exactly. in on that. And yeah, yeah but what, that's a powerful the same way that speech conveys thought, yeah. Christ conveyed the Father to humanity. It goes on, he, that is Christ, Isn't that interesting? And and I think, I mean, I hate to, uh, you want to just go on and on about this because if I'm thinking thoughts, you have no idea what I'm thinking. Nope. Until I speak. Express it. And so we have never seen the Father, but when we saw Jesus, it's like me speaking. You're like, oh, that's what he's thinking. Right. When Jesus came, that's what God is like. It's just incredible. <laughs> you can imagine how discouraging it was for Jesus when he was getting coming to the end of his ministry and they're like, we love everything you've done, but could we get a glimpse of the Father? And he's like, that's my whole thing, right? Well, that's exactly what the statement. I'm going to go back to this. What speech is to thought, so is Christ to the invisible Father. He is the manifestation of the Father and is called the Word of God. Mm. God sent his Son into the world, his divinity clothed with humanity, that man might bear the image of the invisible God. That we could, that to, me, the, to yes. bear it means we could stand it, we could appreciate it. Yes. He, Jesus, made known his, that is the Father's words, the Father, his character, his power and majesty, the nature and attributes of God. The purpose of Christ coming to this world and the purpose of Scripture being written is that we and our finite fallen selves could connect with, grasp, and to some degree appreciate and understand the mind of God. It's incredible. Absolutely. The Word became flesh. flesh. And mm. it, it really, when you think about that and then you look at Scripture, where the Word became flesh. And we read last week in John 6, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit mm-hmm. and they are life. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I don't know if you've encountered some you know, some people have taken upon themselves a study of Scripture. I've known people that's like, I'm just going to go through the Bible and I'm going to read all the red letters because I want the words of Jesus. <laughs> Newsflash, they're all the words of Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's the one who spoke. And, and when you think about that and it really settles in, it, it really magnifies the, the, the sacredness, the holiness of the Scriptures. They are the holy Scriptures. Mm. You know? Yes, they are. Um, and, uh, you know, something else the lesson brings out on uh, Wednesday Speaking of the word becoming flesh, Jesus Christ, it says Jesus Christ became a man in time and space. Yet he lived, because oftentimes the discussion is, even thought in theolo- especially in theological circles, that you know, God is not bound by the limits of time. And right. then this is spun into a kind of 
relativism that, you know, the Bible just span, you know, there's really no, it doesn't give us practical information. I think Mrs. White would call that spiritualizing away, right? So this is what they, they bring out in the lesson. Jesus became a man in time and space. He lived during a specific time and at a specific place. Yet this fact did not nullify his divinity, nor did it make Jesus historically relative. In other words, Jesus mm. came at a time and place, so that's the only time, only time Right, it was good for them, relative. but doesn't speak to us now. And right. I like the fact that Jesus' own, one of his own titles in scripture is the I am. Mm. And when you think about that, I am is an ever-present expression. Yes. It's not the I was <laughs> or the I will be. Right. But the I am, and I think that's one of the reasons that he claims that title is because God is always relevant. Right. His word is always relevant. And we have evidence of that. We have people who have studied the scripture for 6,000 years, mm. and it has been relevant in every age. Amen. You it's, know, you hear a lot been, about today, like, oh, we got to yeah. make it relevant. Friends, it is relevant. <laughs> you know, right. you don't have to make it you relevant. You just have to believe and apply it to your life. <laughs> exactly. If God was I am <laughs> then and is I am now, it's just as relevant today as it was then. Incredible. Right. So let's continue on. We, we, the clock is well, a merciless that, dictator. What that basically leads us to is yes. the, the, the scripture, the, the foundation of it all, it's a matter of faith. Okay. You've got to believe in the word. And, uh, you know, the lesson brings out Hebrews 3. Hebrews, okay. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11 okay. and verse 3, and the apostle says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now he's speaking of creation there, and it's interesting. We, we could talk on about scientific evidences of a creator. Oh, I wish we had a lesson about it. And, so and Paul is aware of that. But the point he's making is at the foundation of it all, we believe it because it's in scripture. It's yes. recorded here. There's a testimony. We believe that the worlds are framed by the word of God because it says so in the word of God. Yes. And, you know, the mindset, whether we're talking about creation or other things, uh, there's a mindset today that belief in the Bible requires faith. But there are some worldviews that are just scientific, raw data, right. logic. Yeah. There is no worldview that doesn't require some level of faith. Right. Yes. Yeah, and, and yeah, well, was, <laughs> I mentioned how I'd love to get into a, a study of creation and the, the documentation evidence for this, but there, there are competing ideas of how do you look at the historical and geological records of the world, and some completely presuppose that there could be no divine, so any evidence must be well, filtered through a naturalistic framework, you know, and, and that is also an act of faith to say, I don't see how it works, but it has to work this way because I'm committed to this idea. There's a quote that I have that I, that I wanted to share okay. um, by a Harvard biologist named Richard Lewontin. It was in a, a book review he did on one of Carl Sagan's books, and it was in the New York Review of Books. I'll have the reference on the screen. But this is, I, the first time I read this, I thought, I'm getting something wrong. This is a joke. He, this guy's not being serious. He was being dead serious, and this is what he said. Our willingness, speaking of the scientific community, our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense mm. is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. So he says, you want to understand why we believe stuff as scientists that doesn't make sense? You've got to understand this war, this battle between, um, what does he say, between science and the supernatural in his viewpoint. He says, we take the side of science 
in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, <laughs> in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, <laughs> mercy, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism, we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now, he talks in big, big verbiage there, but his point is this. We don't want to allow for God. Yes, and we so have decided before even looking at the evidence, this is an option off the table. It's impossible for God to exist. Right. And so anything that would even suggest that, we've got to come up with a method of weighing out the scientific data that so will automatically always. kick out yes. anything that would even suggest God, which isn't right. science. Right. I mean, science is the study of the data. It says we won't even look at that stuff. Why? Because we have a commitment a prior commitment to materialism so firm that if anything smacks of God, we just won't even look at it. Exactly, and that's what. And so the yeah. science, you know, the, the, the scientific community is always like, "You Christians are so narrow-minded. We're open-minded. It's exactly the opposite." Mercy. We're we're not open-minded. We're not going to allow for anything that might mm -hmm. challenge our right. system of belief. So, so don't yeah. tell me there's not faith involved. Yes. In evolution and yes. some of these other it may not be views. religious faith but it is a faith in something that filters all evidence to Absolutely. that one end right it's incredible and well I, the bible talks about that you think of the bereans right sometimes yes. people think about in acts chapter 17 they'll talk about the bereans as being mm. uh, uh <coughs> models of good christian skeptics because they challenged everything they were well, let's take a look at that can we Acts yes, chapter 17 yes. what were the, what's and the deal know, with the bereans, bereans are known for for studying Right. And so you have, it, it very commonly in Christianity, you have Berean bookstores and stuff mm -hmm. because the Bible talks about the Bereans being faithful to study the word, but you're right. There, there's this tie-in to uh, skepticism, Acts 17 and verse 10 uh, is where we're going to look here. Acts 17 and verse 10, the Bible says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Mm. And the mindset is, you know, Paul preached, but they tested what he preached. Right. But it's almost put in a context like, you know, they were just really skeptical We'll believe it when everything. we see it. Yeah. But that's not what it says. It mm. says that the Bereans received the word with readiness of mind. And there's a very different, it's very different to approach the Bible with a willingness to accept it, with readiness of mind, yes. and to approach the Bible with a very skeptical, I don't know about this mindset. Right. And there's nothing wrong, and I, we, we've talked about this before, how there's the, there's basically the two questions, right? There's the question of the skeptic as That's it right. approaches anything in the Bible. Then there's the question of the faithful as it approaches. That's not saying that you understand everything. That's right. But a skeptical question will say, is it even true? Right. Where the believer trusts that it's true even though he doesn't understand all the aspects of it or the applications of it. So to say like, is it true so, is so a skeptical me, question. Yeah, but so let's, how does it work or what does it mean 
That's fine. Ask those. We need to ask those questions. Absolutely. Let's back up just a little bit. These okay. are really the two approaches, mm -hmm. the only two real approaches to the scripture. And we're talking about interpreting scripture. And mm -hmm. if you're really, if the goal is to find out what God intended when those authors wrote, when Paul wrote, when Peter wrote, really get to the, there are two avenues you can take. If you approach the Bible from what we call the doubter's question, mm -hmm. Is it true? There are, uh, there are many people, even in the Christian faith today, that question the inspiration of the Bible. They may believe that parts of the Bible are, are, are true. A popular mm -hmm. expression is, the Bible contains the Word of God. Right, right, yeah. Sounds very noble, but that's a counter to the Bible is the Word of God. Contains the Word of God. There's some people that say, I believe there are parts that are inspired, but there are parts that aren't. By the way, if you have that approach, you become the arbiter of what is or what isn't. That's so exactly you become right. God, dividing out, parsing out the well, things. Well, that's that are, the yeah. thing. The doubter's approach to the Bible, if you, if you open that door and you say, well, is it, really, is it really true? You have just left yourself an open door to anything that challenges you. And then you're like, well, is that really true at all? And it loses, it takes, it robs the scripture's ability Mm -hmm. to transform you because anytime you run up against something you don't know or you don't like or whatever else, right. I don't think that part was inspired. You know, you look at the Apostle Paul when he said to, to Timothy, right, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. For what purpose? For reproof, for correction, for instruction That's in righteousness. Right. And if we come at it from the doubter perspective, from the skeptic right. perspective, we become the one to correct scripture That's exactly when the right. purpose of scripture is to correct us. And that's, that, right. that's, I don't know if you've ever run into this, when, whether it's for the Bible or the writings of Ellen White, anything is dismissed as uninspired or antiquitous or irrelevant. And always, it just so happens to be stuff that doesn't apply that's to their right. life. Like, or, or does apply to like their life. Like, tends yeah. to be the uninspired It's like, oh, her message is about that, or what the truth strategy about this uh, doesn't work because, yes. well, it happens to run against the grain of what your inclination. Well, on the flip side of that, the faith question mm -hmm. is what does it mean? The faith question approaches the Bible as the Bereans. They receive the word as the word of God yes. with all readiness. That begets a study of the word. Why even study it? If it's not inspired, some is and some isn't. Mm -hmm. It really degrades the book. Right. And so when I accept the whole Bible as the inspired word of God, it forces mm -hmm. me into a position that when I come across something that cuts the wrong way, right, mm -hmm. rubs me the wrong way, or that I don't understand, I have closed that door to, is it inspired or not? Right. I've already accepted it as inspired. That forces me into, what does it mean? And I have to wrestle with God and I say, God, I believe it's true. How does it apply? Exactly. How do I deal with it? What does it mean? That gives the scripture that ability to transform the life because I've accepted exactly. it. So this is where we said in the beginning of the lesson, your view of the inspiration of scripture will totally impact the way scripture can impact your life. Exactly. And so the Bereans, back to Acts 17, we're not just saying, is it true at all? But they were trying to understand how is it true? How does it, how is it corroborated with the rest of scripture? How does it apply? They received it as true. And then they wanted to see, understand that truth in the broader context of scripture. So we want to make sure to be Bereans in the biblical sense. That's right. I thought it would be well. There's a couple statements we wanted to finish with. One is our fundamental belief mm -hmm. that it was, I believe in Friday's lesson, they highlighted this. It's the first fundamental belief of Seventh-day Adventists. This is the foundational fundamental belief. It's found in the book, Seventh-day Adventist Belief, page 11. It says the Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, are the written word of God given by divine inspiration. 
we believe this because of what we've just talked about from this is what we see scripture teaching us and that's why we accept it as this statement is going to go on to say the inspired authors spoke and wrote as they were moved by the holy spirit in this word god has communicated to humanity the knowledge necessary for salvation the holy scriptures are the supreme authoritative and the infallible revelation of his will they are the standard of character the test of experience the definitive revealer of doctrines and the trustworthy record of God's acts in history. Mm, that's incredible. And, you know, I think back on the fact that it's the first fundamental belief because every other belief that we have comes out of our approach to Scripture. So if we make the Scripture the guide to everything else and all the other 27 beliefs that come out of it, you know, and, and ex- teachings of the Bible are accepted because it's from the Bible. That's right. And the Bible itself is that authoritative source. You know, I'm thinking also from the great controversy, the introduction to that fantastic book. Uh, we're told that, quote, in his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. You know, that's a concept lifted mm-hmm. from the Apostle Paul, that the scriptures are able to make you wise that's unto right. salvation. Now, it's not going to reveal everything about the universe that we could want to... But what we'll we need to know, to exactly, what things. we need That's to right. know to get us there is in Scripture. In His Word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of His will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and the test of experience. Everything Amen. that we know about God comes from the living Word, Jesus Christ, and the written Word of the Bible. Amen. It would do well for us to... <laughs> not have that <laughs> skeptic right. doubter approach, but say, Lord, to I made an understanding. word with all, all readiness. readiness of mind. Exactly. Friends, that's what we want to appeal to you today as you continue to study the Word of God and these lessons about the Word of God. We want to make sure that, the, that you're having a direct connection with God through His Word. So we would encourage you that have that daily devotional life where you study the Word of God, that you meditate on these themes, that you understand that this is not just good information or interesting facts, but this is the very mind of God given to us in language we can understand. May God bless you this week as you continue to study His Word, and by God's grace, be grounded so that you are not only saved, but then you can be an agent of salvation as we spread this good message until Jesus comes. Before we leave, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for a rich study of your Word. Lord, help us to have the right approach to Scripture, the right concept of what it even is. Help us not to have that limited or skeptical perception that it is merely a human devising or philosophical counsel, but this is the very Word of God to our souls relevant today. Lord, help us to have that rich experience. Help each day to begin with a foundation of the Bible And help us to be like those Bereans who receive it with all readiness and still grasp for even greater understanding as your Holy Spirit leads. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.